Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Definitely comes in at number eight. And again, these numbers trip. mean nothing. You guys? I'm sorry? You yeah, we got no, we'll do a road trip. We should all, but we we're going to go the trip. We gotta go for the order to Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Moving to Boo But so, <laughs> so, so I think. I love hanging with you guys. Sorry. So, I, should, I tell you, it's packed. Every time I start talking, everybody talks under me. Uh, this is an NPR, and you're not on. That's true. You're not on fresh air. That's true. He's no Terry Gross. So, 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 no, <laughs> let me try to moderate, please. <laughs> you two are like the guys in the balcony, of the Muppets. See that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano. Your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Hi there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Power Hour. We are thrilled to have you here today. And uh, we are returning from our two-week break with a real all-star team. First of all, it's great to have Rosella back in the house. We haven't had you here since Christmas, I think. Yeah, it's been a while, yeah. but I'm glad to be back. The longest hangover ever, the post-Christmas I miss you guys. <laughs> I uh, feel like it was just Christmas last week. So. I know, it does feel like that. And, and the, for those of you out there, that those Christmas episodes are still in the archive, and they are really great and have just received a ton of great feedback. So Rosella's back at the table today. Uh, we have the first lady of Italian-American podcasting, <laughs> Ms. Dolores Alfieri Taranto, is right here to my right. And, of course, the professore, uh, my main man, Pat O'Boyle. And uh, I'm your moderator, John Viola. And today we're going to talk about a topic that I came up with at the end of my time at the National Italian-American Foundation. For those of you who might have been members of the organization during the time I was there, I wrote an article every issue for our Ambassador magazine, and uh, the last one that I wrote was a piece in which I sought to create an Italian-American bucket list. You know, it's a weird concept today. Everybody's got this idea of a bucket list before you kick the bucket, the things you should do, the things you want to do. I want to climb Everest. I want to go to Rio. All this nonsense, <laughs> you know. And everybody's worried about what they're going to do before they die. And I said to myself, if I was going to die, I'd want to do all the great Italian-American stuff out there around the country and I started thinking about what would that list be because this is because I'm that's sick. why we love yeah, you because I'm a sick person <laughs> and that's why, why I'm the moderator of the Power Hour. <laughs> so I put together this list, and what we're going to do today with our expert panel uh, is go through my list, some of which I have not been able to go to, but they're on my bucket list, and many of which I have. And then I'm going to open it up to our team here to see if there's any glaring omissions that I've missed, and then we're going to ask you guys in the audience to uh, write us back and let us know what's on your list if we missed any of them. Would you, how would you say Navidad? Alistrozik? 
Yes. No, seriously. Yes, I, I, that's, I, how yeah. Yeah. that's how you would say it. That's how you would say it. I want to make list. a motion that we strike the word bucket list <laughs> yeah. and we turn into Alistadolti. <laughs> okay, perfect. Motion second. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> you just got to teach me how we spell it. How would you say that in Molay's? Huh? How would you say in Molay's the bucket list? Oh, God. Alistadusak. There you go. Can we have that as the alternative, a.k.a.? We're going to have it. I will put it on the on the page. Yes. Okay. It just to translate for those who might not understand the concept of bucket list. Now, to be clear, this list is not just locations; it's events. Yeah, it's events and as well. uh, experience, locations, experience, yes. experience. things people should experience. Well said. And you know, for me, there's so much out there that I've been able to do in my life as a professional Italian American or in my private life, just seeking this stuff out. And I'm always shocked when I meet people, and I'm like, "Oh, have you ever been to this?" And I'm like, I didn't even know it existed. And so I think that's. Something I also want to share with people, like, it's harder and harder without a neighborhood to surround yourself with the culture and the community. But there are these really great either times and events throughout the year or places where you can go and, and must-see destinations that you can really immerse yourself. And so I, I want to share that with everybody out there. So we're going to do this in no particular order because they're not ranked. They don't have any you know preference over the other. I'm going to do them randomly. And uh, I think most of us have done some of them. So for that, me, yeah, go ahead. I, but I think that as you brought this up, I was thinking about something. In the pregame discussion we had of what makes the bucket list, the foundation of all of them are the characters. Yes. That's what we hang on as a community is the characters. Yeah, there's great characters in these and things. And the events are only the stage where yes, the characters sure. perform, right? So the, the the event gives them the opportunity to be themselves. Yeah. It's a safety. Well, I think events like this are, are just a, a platform for people that maybe, you know, live, like, ordinary lives, but, like, they kind of have that Italian-American freak flag, like, <laughs> within them, and then, you know, they go to an event like uh, like Festa Italiana Milwaukee or um, the Columbus Day Parade, and they put, like, a ridiculous... You know, Italian flag feather boa on, and, and a hat, and a button, and they I have can so just, much of that stuff. By <laughs> yes, you do. And they just, you know, can can live that part of themselves freely. You know, with people that are just like them and stuff, so they don't yeah, really have I, to hide it. I think they're like that all the time. They just are never on in the spot. Yes, that's well, true. But in the old days and in the neighborhoods, you felt like this all the time. You're just surrounded by the culture, surrounded by the sounds, the smells, the people. You were in safe territory. I always say the crux of these things. The reason I think that they have such appeal. Is because there's a safety in being around your own culture and being the sort of majority spirit of that time, and you just feel really good. So you can let that Italian flag, freak flag, fly. As someone who grew up in uh, in uh, an Italian American neighborhood that changed drastically over you know 10, 15 years, and the Italian Americans became a minority in their own neighborhood, uh, I can definitely relate to to something like that, where it's like. The Santa Rosalia feast comes, and it's definitely not what it used to be at all. I mean, in its golden age, it was it was like you could buy a cannoli at six different bakeries, and the bread and the smells and the everything was just so different. And now, like, there's Mexican corn, there's yeah. uh, oh, yeah, there are, and things like that. Yeah, there are Asian uh, trinkets to buy. Yeah. You know, so things change, but you know, still, when Santa Rosalia comes, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good just to have it in the neighborhood, just to hear it, just to see the lights from a distance. Even if I don't go, uh, you know, I try and make it a point to go. But um, it makes me feel good to to take a walk up and down there and buy a a, a silly necklace and buy an old Italian CD or or like... I do the same thing. It's, It's interesting that you bring up feasts because if you'll notice, there's only two feasts on here. 
And one of them is one that's personal to me, the Giglio in Williamsburg, and the other is St. Anthony's, which I've never been to, but I hear so much about. Oh, and we'll, we're Boston. Gonna, we're going to talk about that. Boston, yeah. I think that Boston's North End is such an experience. Yeah. The, the feast season in Boston's North End, and I'm, I feel bad saying it, but I think people come to New York, and what they're looking for in New York and what they don't find is, is in what was in Boston. Well, when we get to this, I'm going to let you take the lead. But the reason that I didn't put that many feasts on is, first of all, I think that it does warrant its own episode because mm-hmm. there's a lot of great ones. But secondly, I, I, it's I, hard to find those I, ones that still have that real Yeah, the real vibe. Boston, yeah, Boston vibe. is so good. Boston deserves a series. And some of the other ones in Massachusetts, they are just so well done. Well, let's start with that. So let's, let's start with number 10 on the list. <laughs> no parent order. Is I say St. Anthony's Feast in Boston. I use St. Anthony's because it's the most famous, but again, I have not gone up. I've been to the North End a bunch of times, but never feast season. So tell us, Pat, why this is number it, 10 it, on my it's, list. It's Boston's got it. It's just soup to nuts well done. And they have a season. They don't have to They have a season. Feast. We want theory of why it's so well done. Because the societies still run the feasts. Because Sicilians are anti-clerical. And Boston was Sicilian. And where I think that other parts of the country, um, the church co-opted the feast. Mm. So then, you know, the St. Blank Society from Blanktown in Italy had the feast. And in the 50s, the pastor comes and says, let's make it a parish feast and a parish organization. Now the church controls the books and now the pastor becomes the boss. And why are you going to spend money on fireworks? That's a waste. And then I think they destroyed it. When the pastors and the parishes got involved, I think... One time out of ten, they saved it. Nine times out of ten, they buried it. Because it becomes a church fair, more or less. Because, yeah, so it becomes a church fair, and the celebration, I think that is not the key. It's the fun. It, when, it, when it goes from becoming a celebration to a fundraiser, that's the death knell. Yeah. In Boston, the saint comes out of the chapel. They walk it down to the church. They have mass. They, they bring the saint back to the club, and the feast is there. And, I mean, St. Agrippina, Madonna la Grazia, they do St. Lucy. They're all just so well done and they are so well preserved St. Alfio and Lowell I mean it's just so so well done if you want to get into an Italian American time capsule there's a number of time capsules one is Arthur Avenue which I think is a series to its own I'm sure we'll get to that New Orleans I mean to see the St. Joseph's tables in New Orleans I it's another time sometimes John's got to convince me on stuff when you convince me to go to New Orleans I'm so glad I have the I have undoubting trust in you because it was it was Absolutely incredible. But let's talk on. about that. That's that make that that's number eight on our list is St. Joseph's Day weekend in New Orleans. And I want to make very clear that it doesn't always fall on the holiday. So that you can go to New Orleans and I mean New Orleans is a Sicilian city. Sicilian American probably even today the majority of the property owners in the French Quarter are still Sicilian Americans. Very big community, very um, self-identifying and, and strong in their culture. You can go on St. Joseph's Day, March 19th, which I've done a couple of years, and you'll see the greatest St. Joseph's tables. I mean, some of them are football field long, mm-hmm. and I could put a picture uh, of a few of the ones that Pat and I visited that are that take up a full uh, Catholic school gym. I mean, I've never seen anything like it, and everybody makes I their specialties. Love, they are the nicest Oh, the people. kindest people. Nice, And they keep warm, the traditions. Loving, yeah. welcoming. It's the I, It was just fantastic. No, but they, they, I, I don't... I'm, the Sicilians on New Orleans, it was just, it was a fantastic experience. And then after the holiday, or usually as close on the calendar as you can get, either the weekend before or the weekend after, 
is the St. Joseph's Day Parade Weekend, which is hosted by what used to be called the Italian American Marching Club of New Orleans and is now the uh, Italian American St. Joseph's Society. And I got brought down there probably five, six years ago for the first time, and my buddy David Greco from uh, Mike's Deli on Arthur Avenue, who's uh, all of us know well and who, to his credit, after Hurricane Katrina came to New Orleans, his friend Michael Badalucco, uh, the Emmy Award-winning actor, had been filming down there. He's a passionate Sicilian, and he saw how hard it was for the community to rebuild this thing after the hurricane. And he called David, and he said, David, you got to come down and help me with this. And so David, on his own dime for 10 years, has been going down, and they used to cook the world's biggest meatball. And David said, you can't make a meatball in the middle of Lent. Uh, you need to be making a Sicilian dish. So David, from Campania, um, he cooks the world's largest bowl of pasta con sabde. It's 500 pounds. Yes, I've pounds. seen it. It's tremendous. I've done it with them. It's unbelievable, the process, what he does. And everybody comes out. It's a huge party, the happiest party you could ask for. Uh, Friday night's another big dinner with entertainment. And then Saturday is the St. Joseph's Day Parade through the French Quarter. It's like a red, white, and green version of Mardi Gras where thousands of Italians line up through the society. Uh, you have princesses, all the little girls from the community join a, a princess's court, uh, or the maids, they call them. And they're in beautiful white dresses on the floats and all the shops and a big St. Joseph's altar that moves through the neighborhood with fruit and bread and cookies. And then all the men in the marching club in black tie covered in red, white, and green boas and pins and beads and stuff, either in cars or in chariots that they make, like Roman chariots, they march down the street or on foot uh, through the French Quarter. And it's just, you you feel so alive and proud. And it's just, you know, you're throwing out red, white, and green beads and everybody stops for drinks. And it's amazing. Can, I want to jump in with part of this because I know there's a sector out there that's poo-pooing this. Because I think we get a lot of heat from Italy. Because whatever you do here is just not Italian enough. Yeah. And I say this with respect. It's not. It's not a provocation. It's kind of well. That's not really Italy. That's that's some kind of uh, bastardized you know, Italian American, you know, thing. And it's some. It somehow takes away the the value of it. But I think that the St. Joseph's tables that were done as religious vows of Thanksgiving were different because times were different, right? And it's easier to recreate that in in Sicily. But the people of New Orleans adapted it to their own experience, right? Yeah. So you're in a, a city that has a very strong um, French, I guess, Cree, I don't know, a, a Cajun or Creole, I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, Cajun, I guess, I don't want to incorrectly use the term, flavor. And the Sicilians are there. Being a Sicilian in New Orleans, you become New Orleanian, I don't know if it's a term. So of course... Mardi Gras will become part of your identity. Yeah. Sure. So you, you take part of your Sicilian identity and you blend it. And you have to have respect for those people because New Orleans probably had an older immigration than New York. I mean, oh, you're the oldest. Expert, old, yeah. old, right? Yep. And they left very poor towns in Sicily very early on. Yep. And this love that they have for St. Joseph, which has, has evolved into what they have now, the tables, which are a little bit Americanized but traditional, the Mardi Gras parade, which is totally their own creation. But... You know, um, all through Italy, things evolve and things change. 
Because you, you can't take that away from them, right? It's, it's not purely society. No, no. St. Joseph's Day Parade has a green, white, and red beads. They, they have Cajun roots. Yeah, but let me tell you something. That's the point of this whole thing, and I have this conversation all the time. I hate when I get criticism from communities outside the United States that tell you this is not really Italy or this is not Italian. This no, list it's not is not, Italy. This list is not where you find Italy in the United States. This list is the must-see Italian-American stuff that's out there. And I've been saying for my whole life that we should be proud to own this hybrid culture that's got the best of America and the best of Italy, and it's different, and it's from a different time, and it's geographically And it's different. evolving, and it's yeah. not. You know, people from Italy just, they come with their, well, it's not like, it's not what it's done in Italy. No. Well, guess what? We're not in Italy either. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this. You can't you recreate know. Italy in, like, New Jersey or no. Milwaukee or New Orleans. You're never going to do it. No. And it's, it had to become, it had to evolve. It had to be different. It couldn't I mean, be you, exactly the same. You bring up a great point, and you mentioned it just a second ago. And this is another one. This is one that I have not been able to make, and I've been invited a couple times. We talk about evolution. Uh, one of the ones on my list, definitely, for me personally, and I think for everybody out there, is the Festa Italiana in Milwaukee. Because the Festa Italiana in Milwaukee is the largest gathering of Italian-Americans in the country every year. 40,000 people a day. That's incredible. Yeah, Bigger and, and, than... And, and they... So I got into a fight with a shop, with a, a restaurant owner on Mulberry Street. He was like, it's not bigger than San Gennaro. And I was like, no, it actually it kind of is yeah. in a different way. And, like, Yeah, and one of the reasons that it's... You talk about evolution... In the 70s, I think, a lot of these little saint societies or churches were losing their feasts. And, and There's a more nefarious story with Milwaukee. Their neighborhood was destroyed by a highway. Okay, go ahead. Their na- I mean, I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but um, you know, the, the great ward. sage Paul Pacelli could go on for days about this. Is that the third ward of Milwaukee? The third ward was like the Italian. I think Ho- Our Lady of Pompeii or Holy Rosie was the parish. They basically went in with the highway and destroyed the, the neighborhood. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the Italian community in Milwaukee um, picked up the pieces and made this big feast of the saints so that all it was the only way for all their feast traditions to survive. Yeah, right? together. Mm-hmm. Together. What a and, great example for our community. You know, by like the way. Italians' unity and working together. I mean, it's <laughs> like, no, let me know. tell you. Uh, it's going to run a highway through their Mil- neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing what they, the production that they, that they uh, can pull off in Milwaukee, it's just crazy to see that many Italian Americans working together. You're talking about two to three hundred volunteers. Yeah, it's like an army, right? Yes. They should be very that, proud of themselves. They should be. They should, that, be, they really they should re- be very That's proud. why they're on my list, because they've done it right. What does the weekend look like? So, uh, Festa Italiana is three days long. It opens on a Friday, Friday afternoon, like 4 or 5 o'clock. They open the, the gates. It's held at the Summerfest Grounds in Milwaukee, which is kind of an interesting concept. It's just like a big park for festivals. It's like a World's Fair pavilions. Yeah, yeah. But um, And they don't just have Festa Italiana there. They have German Fest and uh, so Spanish Fest and Mexican Fest. Every kind of fest. And it's really set up very well. It's got this uh, central like street, if you will, that goes through the middle of it. And on either side, there are stages. They have about six different stages for entertainers. They have a huge Miller Lite-sponsored stage where, like, all the headliners perform. They have pavilions. Um, Festa Italiana puts up tents and does exhibits in all the tents, like cultural exhibits. 
They have the Kushina Showcase. Uh, that's where I do my thing every time I go. One of the most adorable things that they do have is that they have a little troop of 20 different girls dressed in Italian traditional oh, garb. Oh, I love outfits. Like the, the pastorella, like with the little flower crowns and everything that. in the skirts. And they their job all weekend is to go back and forth, like go up and down the street and perform La Tarantella. Oh, I would love that. That so would make me very, very happy. They walk and um, they stop every so often and they perform. It's like big Italian-American yeah, Disney World. It's like Italian-American. Yeah. It's like gondolas on the water Yes, there, there are gondola rides. There are Zeppeli. There are um, there's Spinchona. There, uh, there are rides. You know, there's a Ferris wheel. There's a cable car thing. It's, it's really, really it cool. Does, it, it is often described as like an Italian-American Disney World. And... Sometimes we use that as like a bad uh, descriptor you know, when a feast is sort of, you know, becoming less and less Italian. But I think in this case, this is like the place where all of our stuff is brought together and, every, yeah. and you have that like concentrated dose. Oh, they have like, you know, gelato stands and they have Ferraris uh, that, that showcase. That's and awesome. it, it's just really, really nice. It's usually nice weather. It's very warm. It's in the middle of summer. And it's um, it was really cool to just see the way families like make a whole day of it or a weekend of it. They drive up from Chicago, from like the Chicago area, and they really just enjoy it. And they're all decked out in the garb and like green, white, and red. Everything. It's where you wear your most ridiculous <laughs> Italian American shirt. You know, I have a whole word like, over that. You know uh, the. Something. You bet your cool I'm Italian. And yeah, all like you know, oh, you bet your meatballs I'm Italian. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy. They, oh, I can't talk enough about it. The last time I was there, I hosted the cannoli eating contest. Oh wow! And I have a video of how. That's the only thing I don't like. No, 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 I Patrick. Hate, that's the one thing. Pat, I can't let me finish because the way that they start this is that they have guys dressed like uh, Julius Caesar, and Roman soldiers. So the Roman soldiers are holding uh, Julius Caesar on this thing that the Cleopatra, what is that thing called? Um, sedan. Yeah. Uh, sedan. The sedan chair? Yeah, yeah they, they, they carry him. A litter. It's a, a litter. litter. A litter. Yeah. They carry him in and stuff. And then they carry all the cannolis in on a similar thing, all these Romans. And it's just the energy in the room People and everything. I love that stuff. I mean. Look, it's so much fun. I think we need to make that a, a destination for the road trip. And then so that's so Friday night it opens. Saturday is when all the big acts really perform. Like if there's um, a headliner, a big musical act, they perform. And then Sunday morning they have a mass. Mm. And they, they have it in, like, a little amphitheater. Well, it's a large amphitheater. But, like, four or 500 people come. They and have, all the societies come. Yeah. Right? Like with banners uh, with, and so it's a procession, and it's a full mass. Yeah, and everyone, and, like, everyone goes. It's so, so nice. I love that. I, I think that, for me, I've heard so much about this. I can see the passion in your eyes when we talk about it. I think it's, a, it's something we should add to the great Italian-American road trip list, and maybe this summer like when it comes up. I think one thing is that... Um, New York, the New York mentality is like we're kind of the center of Italian American, Italian America, and we are in certain ways. But there's an authenticity to Italian Middle America yeah. that we've lost in in New York. There's an overall authenticity in Middle America that yeah, we've lost. I, I just love, I just think like Ohio. I say it's all the time. Like Italian Americans from this New York metro area who don't venture out, or when they do venture out, they're not going to Italian American events outside of New York. They don't understand what they're missing because. There's, there's just a warmth. I think we said that with New Orleans and Milwaukee. There's a warmth, there's a friendliness, and there's kind of like um, a retro authenticity. Yeah. Those kiss me Italian buttons, which you're not going to find in New York. 
you have in the Midwest. And they're just such great events. And I think that um, Italian-Americans have an ability to let loose that I don't think Italians in Italy have. Yeah, because there's so much a cultural judging, yeah. you know, of Americans uh, overall have an ability to let loose better than most. Yeah, Europeans. sure. And yeah. I think that there's a there's a um, there's a freedom, there's a cultural freedom that we have as Americans, and that there's um, the non fear of being criticized. But I think that's part of the strong part of who we are, and I think that these events allow us to be us, right? Yeah. But the us that we are is not the us that we were, right? So the us that we've become as Italian-Americans is, that there's a, there's a freedom here um, where I think if you spend a lot of time in Italy, there's a lot of social pressure in Italy, right? How things appear and how things one dresses and, you know, who you are and where you want to. It's, it's very cultural-based. It's very uh, um, uh, class-based and class-critical. But you can be a super-educated, very wealthy person in America, and even though I'm not a canola contest, I, I, I just don't like food contests. It's not my thing. But <laughs> you can do something silly. And you're not a public abomination. Yeah. But I, I just mean that, like, the level of organization, of enthusiasm, oh, yeah, of yeah. all, like, you know, here, 300 Italian Americans wouldn't volunteer for to spend their here time. Here in New York. Yeah. New York, New Jersey. In New York, New Jersey. They wouldn't volunteer to spend a weekend. You know, they would want their name on it. They would fight. Yeah. Like, crazy. It just, yeah. it wouldn't happen. And it, there's, um... I don't want to say that there's a lack of pride that I noticed, but it's just like, for what? Yeah, yeah but there's well, like an ego. Yeah, well, hold there's, on. there's well, an attitude. Because we're a little bit too Italian. That's yeah, one maybe. thing we I held on to. Why do you think that is? Yes, they, they, we, they definitely still, are. We still got the is, old country. I mean, we got some of Italy's got good and Italy's got bad. And part of the bad of Italy is Italy can't roll together. That's why Italy is such a country of accomplishment is because it's a country where everybody's competing against everybody else, right? Raphael and Michelangelo, my, my ceiling in my cathedral is better than your ceiling in the cathedral you painted. And, you know, we, we fight a lot. That's a, I think Because remember, we had a late immigration here. A lot of parts of Italy of America, their immigration stopped before the Depression. We had people coming to the New York metro area that we all know that were still immigrating into the 90s. We still do. Still do. I feel that because the four of us spend a lot of time in Italy, we know Italy, especially the south of Italy, and I think a lot of a lot of people who who we are privileged to have as listeners don't get that experience. And I think that we're here to say that what you do is a treasure. It's a treasure. It's unique. It's unique to your experience, be it Milwaukee or New Orleans. It's something for you to be proud of, for people to appreciate. And you have aspects of your own local culture that that really are like gems in the the crown that's Italian America. And I think they should be congratulated on that. And they should know that they should be proud of that. Absolutely. And the people who criticize it, they're either arrogant, condescending, or they're uninformed of poor self-esteem. I think they just can't see it. I think they can't see how um, how this kind of stuff could could excite someone so much. You know, how, how uh, the ridiculousness could, yeah. could be so... Uh, Heartwarming to them, how, like they just don't see it the same way. How much of you, how, how much of it do you think is ethnic embarrassment? Shame. Yeah, like self self shame. That's a good question. Who in Italy or here? Uh, I guess here. Like so, a cannoli contest will give me that. Like I don't like things you'll like be that. Ashamed. No, I don't. I don't, yeah. like, I don't like it. But I don't like it because it's Italian. I just don't like food contests. I, guess, I just don't maybe understand. I don't like food. I don't like hot dog contests either. But no. I don't like seeing do a bunch of my. Uh, Paisani shoving cannolis into their face as fast as they can. Uh, maybe it is embarrassed. Like I'm just like this. this yeah, but that's separate. That's I don't se- like this. But that's a separate. 
That's not particularly Italian. True. Competitive okay, eating is point. not an Italian. You just changed, just changed the ganul to a taco, and it just, you changed nationalities. You know, I think the first few years that I saw it, I, I did have some of those same sen- sentiments. But then, like, they really are excited yeah. to be atten- – like, it, it's not like so, let's just do something to do something. It, it's all part of the vibe there where it's like it's okay to be a little gavel. I think this competitive eating thing, like, there's a tradition in this country of, you know, pie eating contests at the state fair that go back to the 1900s, and that sort of, people are together, and it's goofy, and they're excited. It's been taken to another level. Now it's on, like, ESPN 5, and, you know, the the hot dog contest on Coney Island. I mean, it's just gluttony on steroids, and it's institutionally can I, can sponsored. I, I might jump in with something with the, with, the, with the pie. I think you made a fantastic point. Only America did we have the amount of prosperity that you could... You could do stuff like smack, smack a person's face with a pie of whipped cream. Yes, that's true. Because we had more whipped cream than we yeah. knew what to do with. Eating contests in the old country were like surviving. Like, yeah, of course, the contest. Hundred percent. Whatever you can. What are you not doing? Sure. I mean, I think it's it's another it's another point of the prosperity of the American of America. Well, you talk, you talk about prosperity, eating tradition, eating culture. So two of the stops on my list. Are restaurants. So let's talk a little bit about them, and if we've if we've been able to be there, these are two that I've been to, and now there are hundreds of phenomenal and old school. Can I jump in a minute for the people out there out in in podcast land? No one that I know of is a bigger expert on old school Italian American restaurants than John. True. That I will eat. John, yeah. John, if you travel with John, John will find a place that's been around since 1933, 1932. I personally think we should have John's picture <laughs> with an Italian flag as the seal of authenticity. As like the award for the <laughs> As the award. John me. goes in and he's happy. And we've eaten everywhere. I, yeah. I, I, this I've is what I do for fun. With, yeah, 100%. we got to go to Ortobello in my neighborhood. Uh, yeah, we've never done that. you gotta, you got to go. There but, are a few in Brooklyn that I haven't done yet. But it's, it's true. I'm passionate about the sort of red sauce... Checker tablecloth places. If you have an old school Italian restaurant, yes, send it to eat, me, please. Send it to John. Yes, send it to John. Make sure we eat well. He'll drag us there. Yes, I will drag, <laughs> you, he'll drag you. If you're in the most remote part of America, he'll go. Yes, I will. I, I, every the time more I remote, go. the better. Everywhere I travel. Let us know if you guys want that to be like a splinter podcast. Oh yeah, I would do that show in a heartbeat. Oh, interesting. In a heartbeat. You and know, old Italian restaurants. Yes. Yeah. of America. I well, call I mean, them heirloom restaurants. I would love people to send us these recommendations. I would love it if we could hear from you and you tell us where to go. And John is also going to send you an autographed picture. <laughs> of me he'll, eating at a of restaurant? E- of eating your restaurant. He'll sign the picture. Yeah. John, why don't you come up with autograph? And that'll be the, the, the good housekeeping seal. That'll be the prize. I love that idea. But I want to make a point here. The two restaurants that I name are not necessarily, they're, they're, I think they're good food. I'm not judging on the best food. I'm not judging on, there's plenty of places that I love that are not on this list. This is the bucket list. If you, if you can only go... To the two of them, I think the, the experience, like, you know, Bamonte's in Brooklyn. I grew up around the corner. It's my family's uh, people. We've been going there for five generations. That's our, our home. And the Bamonte family is the best people you could ask for. The place is amazing. It hasn't changed since 1952. I just love them to death and a big shout out. But they're not on my bucket list because my bucket list is about, A, the oldest in the country, and B, sort of the, the most... Um, culturally ingrained. And so, A, 
is Ralph's in Philadelphia. Do you are you confident to say that they're the oldest? Yes, they are the oldest. So yes. we can back this up. Yes. This can be documented. When, when Fior d'Italia closed in I think two thousand six, which was the oldest restaurant in the country in uh, San Francisco. And how old was that? Eighteen ninety something. Eighteen ninety six, I want to say. And they closed. Uh, Ralph's became the oldest Italian American restaurant in the United States. And Ralph's have, is the same family. Was the same family owner all these years? Uh, that's a good question. Let me see. Uh, you stumped him, Kumba. Yeah. You know what? You, you stumped me. You, 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 you stumped me. I don't know if it's the same family. But it is the oldest continually operated Italian-American restaurant. Opened in 1900. And wow. it's really a back a in time. run. Yeah, it's about 120 Sheesh. years. I mean, the, and, and you know what? It's a great... Philly's a great town. The, the Italian market in Philly We're is, doing a road trip, correct? Yeah, we are doing a road trip coming up. So again, this is not any particular order. But number eight right now, as we're talking about it, is definitely Ralph's in Philadelphia. And so number seven, to me, has to be a night at Rayo's. And I think the reason I bring up a night at Rayo's is it's so absolutely ingrained in, particularly around the New York area. For those of you who don't know, uh, Rayo's is a little Italian restaurant with like 12 tables. It's been up in Harlem for 122 years. So that it would claim older than Ralph's. It's evolved. Um, but Rayo's is one of the last vestiges of what we always talk about was the largest Little Italy in the United States in Italian East Harlem. It's 12 tables. It's a great group of uh, Italian Americans that own the place. And it's a real celebrity hotspot. And every uh, night you see different people or you're singing and you sit down. And Joey, the, uh, the guy who sort of runs everything, he sits down at your table. He tells you what's available. You order family style. There's two seatings. It's 7.30 and I think 10 o'clock. And there is no reservations. All the tables have sort of, let's say, quote-unquote owners. And so you basically Can get given time. you go off about time. that? Because that's a very... Getting a table at Rayo's. I don't know if you... It's a thing. It's a status it's symbol. A status. It's a New York yeah. thing. I mean, if you're at... I don't know if people outside yeah, New York realize... Well, now there's a Rayo's in L.A. and there's a Rayo's in Las Vegas. But, but they're not the same. But they're not Rayo's. They're I mean, not... Those you can make a reservation. You could go... Like, I've never been to Rayo's. I'm not cool enough to go to Rayo's. I don't know cool enough people to get into Rayo's. We got to do that one night. We like, got we to gotta make a point. But I think you should explain... It, it's It's fascinating. So, you have to like wait years and yeah, the tables no are still controlled in many cases by families that have had long-standing reservations for generations, and they know you know once can a week. Jump, can I just jump in a second? <laughs> no, just ask him to explain no, it. No, because you don't understand. Don't listen to you you explain it. No, see now you're another one. You're no, no, I'm trying to be good, Dolores. I'm trying to no, to, I, to only speak in complete sound bites and yeah, trying exactly. to not you're talk when Pat is talking. When can we go to Rayos again? Uh, That's we, all I we can go. I, I got to work on that. Let me work okay. on that. I will work on, do, on doing Rayos. a night for everybody there. But to, to, to answer Pat's point, uh, the idea behind Rayo's reservations and its sort of exclusivity is that families that have lived in that neighborhood for generations have standing reservations either once a week or once a month or whatever it is, and they come and they and they come back to the neighborhood and it's only ten or twelve tables. So they've never created a reservation system because if a table does open up, it's either then like given by the right. the ownership and management of Rayos to somebody else who has come a few times as a guest or who knows the people in the neighborhood or whatever it is. And so, you know, my family goes a few times a year and at the beginning of the year, uh, Joey calls up and says, you know, here's a few nights that are available. Would you like these reservations? And then we come. Oh, and, is that how you guys yeah, do it? Yeah, and okay. that's how it's done. And, and you know... 
Susan Palercio is a member of their family who's a great friend of ours and a great supporter of the show. Um, may he rest in peace. Frankie Pellegrino was an absolute just font of Italian-American culture. And every time you'd go in there, they'd be singing. And Nicky the Vest behind the bar with a different, you know, decorated vest every night. And he's been there since the 50s. And it's just a place where, you know, the Christmas decorations are up all year and the jukebox is used. And it's... So homey. Yeah. And so, well, we did it together, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you found it to Frankie be... Pellegrino mm-hmm. was actually an actor as well. Yeah, he was. Yeah, a he lot of people don't, of don't realize. And I loved I loved our night at Rails. It was so much fun. I mean, it was fun because we, it was a big group of us and we had a great time. Um, but, you know, of course, like, there's something fun about the exclusivity, you know, yeah. in the sense of not that you're leaving people out, but that it because you know of the way the seating works... When you're in, it feels like a clubhouse. It's like Cheers. It's like Cheers. Everybody knows your name, all the guys at the, right, you know, right. the door, the waiters, the kitchen. You know everybody, and you build relationships. So there were some, and like you can't, like we walked in before you and Nicole got there, so you know they came right up to us. You know, you, you can't just go to the bar and have a drink yeah. there. You have to be there for a reason. And we told them, you know, who we were, having, we were, our reservations were under, and then we could have a drink and hang out. But it's so small, it's so cozy, it's so kind of uh, long-standing, historical. It's this very historical Italian neighborhood. I mean, we East talk Hall. about Our oh, Lady of Mount Carmel, who, I mean, I pray to every morning and every night, you know, it, and then it, you're it, in the it, neighborhood. It was the biggest Italian community in the country during right. the 20s. And this I mean, is really right. all that's left. Rayo's it's is, really all that's and, left. And, and the yeah. church are like all that's left. And it just has a very Italian feeling because it turns into this clubhouse and everybody... Even if, like, there were some famous people in there that night, but there was no, I mean, we were, it was very easy for us to talk to them, and they were talking, because you're just in this clubhouse vibe, yeah. and um, everybody feels like they know, even if you don't know each other, because you're in Rayos, you know each other? Yeah, I get, that's exactly how it feels. So, fun fact about Rayos is that um, if you've ever seen the Woody Allen film Broadway Danny Rose, there's uh, the character that Mia Farrow plays is this, uh, this woman with big blonde hair and dark glasses and a, and a, and a very uh, specific set of mannerisms. And she actually modeled that character after Anna Rayo. Really? Which was uh, Anna and Vincent. The, I had the, no idea the founders. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, they, well, Woody and Mia were uh, big fans of I'm Rayo's. Sure they were, they were yeah. always at Rayo's. And they just, they, they saw this like Italian-American woman that, you know, with, with the hands like Peggy Bundy sort <laughs> of and like just sauntering around the restaurant with these dark glasses that she would wear inside and outside. She's that. a very uh, eccentric person. But I think um Rayo's just the the just saying Rayo's uh inspires such classic New York Italian Americanism even if you've never been there like me. Like I yeah. think of Rayo's and I just think of, you know, kind of this walk down restaurant that's very small, that's very homey that um brings me back to uh an Italian American New York that Really isn't here anymore. Yeah. But and they yeah. they did a fantastic job of preserving um, the essence yes. of that, even and, and making it like a cultural phenomenon. It's like Rayo's is a restaurant, but like it, it's almost that old tavern neighborhood taverny exactly. feel, like the bar and yeah. Little, Except it's super exclusive. Yeah. You can't get it. Because it survived. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we had a place called Milo's in my neighborhood that was like that, but it's gone. And so a lot of right. neighborhoods lost those places and. Rayo's is there, so it, the value is not 
is, is beyond the exclusivity. That's why it feels yeah. like, but to me, that's why it felt so Italian. That's right. Is because of the the exclusivity. Because yeah. you're kind of saying like this is it's like these Italian families in this old you know uh, historical Italian neighborhood, and you almost step into it, and it does feel like what I imagine you know East Harlem might have felt like yep. in 1950. Yeah, if, if because people are coming back, and because the tables are are. Uh, sort of will to one another it means it's a destination and so on the majority of nights you would feel like most people could have walked from their uh, you know yes. their railroad apartment right. down the block and come for dinner and like look I go to Bamonte's all the time I love Bamonte's it's like a home but now yes it's still got a lot of Italians going back but you've also got new people and different people right. who've discovered it right. they, those people who've discovered it they can't get into Rayo's so it's like preserved for us, but and I, that's a big value. But I think yes. the people we call Medigan, yeah, which is not not a, not in a um, insulting way. No, what my grandmother would categorize the Medigan people were. They want an Italian American experience because what would offer what makes these these places special. The food is a component of the experience. And they're seeking an Italian experience. And seeking an Italian experience, they go to... An Italian-American experience, I think, is, is a better articulation. But that's why they go to these places. I agree. So number six on the list, Rayo's. If you know somebody, if you've been there, let us know. I think it's an experience. But we did mention my home neighborhood restaurant, Pamonti's. And I think it's safe to take us to number five, another event that takes place in my home neighborhood that I think has some regional awareness definitely and maybe even some national awareness and it's the Giglio Festival in Williamsburg, Brooklyn and that's July uh, it's it's held now at the Feast of Our Lady of Mont Carmel it's a week plus and the Giglio is a tradition that was brought over from Nola, Italy near Naples where the people get together for the Feast of St. Paulino and they lift this three ton spire uh, which Giglio for those that don't speak the language means lily and it represents a lily uh, flower, and it, and it used to be adorned with lily flowers. And they have San Paulino on top of this thing, and all the men of the neighborhood get under and lift. And down the block, uh, the other part of the feast, is another three-ton sculpture of a boat. And the tradition was started because San Paulino, the, the bishop of Nola at the time, it said that during one of the many Barbary pirate invasions of the Italian coast, all of the children of the town of Nola were kidnapped and brought to uh, the North African coast as slaves. And San Polino, the, the then bishop, decided that he would go and ransom them by trading himself. And the sultan, or pasha, uh, at the time, was so moved by his generosity of spirit that he not only released all the children, but he released San Polino as well. And when San Polino came back to Nola and the people saw the boat, they waved lilies in the air in celebration, and they commemorated with this feast to him when he died, and it became this great tradition. And in Nola, they lift eight, I think, uh, eight sculptures. Here in the neighborhood, for 120 years or so, uh, the Nolani people in Brooklyn have been lifting one and this boat, which has a man dressed in, uh, I would say, Eastern garb, who's called the Turk. And uh, the two statues are danced all up and down the street, to these very complicated songs and patterns so that they come just close enough to kiss and touch and then they circle around each other and they separate and go the other way. And so all of the people in the neighborhood are given roles and it's a huge deal to get promoted to 
uh, underboss and then uh, capo and then uh, the, the capo of, of all of the uh, paranza, which is like the lifters and the directors. And there's this whole hierarchy to it. And I'm not Nolani, so we always went as sort of observers. I never lifted. My, my brother did. Um, but it's a huge tradition, and it's really authentic. Have any of you guys come? Yes. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I've been there with you. I've been, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I went yeah. to my first studio this past summer, actually. Really? Yeah. Your first one? Wow. First yeah. time? Yeah. Uh, it's so funny that it's, like, in Brooklyn as well, but it's it's one of those things that's, like, so close. And you yeah, know, many you're always, Yeah, my that, Brooklyn and your Brooklyn is a different it's, world. It's, it's not in my Brooklyn. Yeah. Your Brooklyn and John's Brooklyn. Two different worlds. It's a whole different universe. Right, and, and my Brooklyn, we have our own we have our own fees. So, yeah. like, it, I've always wanted to go. We finally went this year. Nick and I finally went, and we had a great time. It's a great feast. It's really yeah. religious. There's a lot of... There's a lot of people there. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. People come back in droves. And I, for us, like from our neighborhood, there's a song. Ogilvy Paradis is the song they wrote in the 50s. Turi Ferrara. Yeah, Turi Ferrara wrote That's it. That's yeah. an episode. That's oh, my, a... I love that. And, and that song, I don't care what time of the year it is, you hear that song, you hear the first notes, and your foot starts tapping. And it's just like you could be in July... They say heaven touches Brooklyn in July, and for those of us <laughs> that grew like up that. with it, it's really it's, it's, <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. It's yeah, definitely it is. worth seeing. Um, you know, weeks before they do the guest, and they go sell blessed bread to raise money for the church, and it's just it's a great time to be in Brooklyn and to be Italian, and it's just super authentic. And I highly recommend it to There's those. There's a lot of passion at that yeah, feast. A lot of passion. Um, Monsignor Jamie's and his like, oh, full regalia, sprinkling course. holy water on at, people. At the top of That's the what people got to understand. Like, there's this three-ton <laughs> tower, with the, which is sculpted differently every year by a member of the community. And they're beautiful. And on top of that is the whole Giglio band, yeah. right? One of the best feast bands in the country, plus the priest, plus the dignitaries, and all these different tiers. And the priest is praying and uh, you know welcoming everybody, and the songs are being sung, and, and hundreds of men are underneath, in unison, being directed by their uh, paisani around them, very specifically, to dance this thing in hyper-detailed ritual ways. And it's amazing. I mean, you, you know, they, 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 you they have shout to, the orders. Can I just say this? Because I know I'll get in trouble for opening my mouth. When yeah. you say this. I think you need to YouTube it. Mm-hmm. To really understand, yeah, absolutely, you can't, it's hard yeah. to describe. Like, the giant put us on fire. Yeah. right yeah. now. That's right. Go YouTube, Julio, yes. Brooklyn. Yes, watch a couple videos. Come back, and then you can understand what a spectacular, spectacular event it is. And I think even some of the stands. Oh my gosh, like Fazulo, like some of the ones that are basically only there. Impo- only there. Yes. yes, you get great food. That's that's really only at these this feast and the beauty of it is it's become a week long thing so there's an old timers lift for guys that used to do it there's a children's gilio for the kids that are and, and, and a lot of people don't live in the neighborhood anymore and come back for it and they, they pass it to the kids and it's just beautiful to see these kids lifting a mini gilio because you know and, and they're going to keep yeah, this alive I, I think that you know to talk about evolution it's right? a good way to do it yeah and I think John put up a it's it's a very nuanced comment that has a lot of weight in the discussion <coughs> is that John's family's not from NOLA. So he articulated that I'm not quote unquote I'm not from NOLA, so right. it's not my feast. But a lot of the guys who lift are not from NOLA. Right. But they're Williamsburg guys. Yes, that's true. And I think it's the same thing like, like Saint Sebastian and Montclair. That's that was always a Chiramese fest, but it became a Montclair feast yeah. because even though the tradition was from Chiram, there was a lot of non Chiramese who grew up with it. Who kind of felt connected to it. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of the unity of Italy that never really happened in Italy, but happened kind of here. happened here. Yeah. Right? That's true. So you feel connection to the Giglio, even though you're, you're not, it's not the, ethnically the Baez, yeah. your, your own. 
And I think that's a that's a big part. Isonically of, speaking, <laughs> sure. And I think because now Giulio's a Nola Fest and Giulio's a Williamsburg yeah, Fest. Yeah, it's a Brooklyn thing now. Um, but I think also an aspect is that there are multiple Giulios. Yeah. Because there's also the East Harlem Giulio from, and those people do for St. Anthony from Brujan. Yeah. And Long Island is an. And um, I haven't seen Long Island, but I think that Brooklyn is absolutely impressive. Brooklyn's is an aluminum Giulio. And like I said, if you're trying to figure this out, put us on pause. Go Google this. Yeah. G-I-G-L-I-O. Julio Brooklyn. Julio East Harlem. Um, East Harlem is still made out of wood. Yeah, that's right. So if you see the dance of the Julio in East Harlem, you can understand why it dances. Because the wood Julio, which is like a six-story tower, um, Williamsburg's is is crowned by um, St. Paulinus. St. Paulinus. St. Paulinus. And the one in East Harlem is is, is topped by St. Anthony. Um, the benefit of Williamsburg is that there's the boat with the Turk. Mm. Um, and that's spectacular. And I think, um, and, when, and when they enter church and everyone's waving the lilies, I think is really impressive. And I think um, as well, equally impressive is the way that it gyrates, the, the St. Anthony uh, Giulio in um, East Harlem, which for a while had been in the Bronx, mm-hmm. uh, then went back to East Harlem, I think around 2000, um, just to see just to see 100 guys carry this Giulio. Because it was an, uh, some people claim there was an act of penance. Yeah. Um, probably there's some stuff that predates Christianity that kind of held over. Uh, I think it's a good assumption to make. Uh, for those guys who want to know why, a little bit of interesting history is that Nola and Bruchan are neighboring towns. And the history of the Giulio and Nola goes back into antiquity. So, Nola, and Nola produced a lot of saints. Not only did Nola produce San Paulino, I think San Felice di Nola was his brother. I think wow. they were related. He's the inventor of the church bell. That's why the word in Italian for church bell is campana. Because it comes from campagna. Because it was invented by a bishop of Nola, San Felice. I think he was a bishop of Nola, San Felice di Nola. Um, to call the Christians to prayer. Wow. The na- in the 1880s, the neighboring town of Brujan, um, a man's son was dying. I think it's about 1884, and he made a vow to St. Anthony, save my son, and I will build you a Giulio bigger than San Paolino. <laughs> Only in Italy. That's right. <laughs> Only <laughs> in Naples. Same bargaining. Yeah. I, and the boy was healed, and they began the Giulio tradition in Brujan for their patron, St. Anthony. And um, the people from Nola immigrated to Williamsburg, so their, their Julio tradition went on in Williamsburg. The people from Brujan went to East Harlem. They brought their Julio tradition to East Harlem. And a lot of people don't know. Uh, it was either North Bergen or Union City. It's an area called Nungesses. I always get, it's in Hudson County by Jersey City. They also had a, I'm pretty sure it was the Julio from Brujan. It died out in the 70s, but there was one in North Jersey as well. So what survived, and I think when you say Giulio's, this is a Giulio experience in general on the bucket list. Yeah, that's right. And I would love to see it get back to none guesses. Hey, if anybody out there knows of a uh, Giulio-type feast that still goes on, let us know. Again, we'll add it to the Great Italian-American Road Trip because the intention is for us to go and, to these. And you know what? Another beautiful thing about the Giulio, it's created new every year. Yeah, I love that. It's And it shows, you know, one... Yeah, they really do build it. They build and redesign it. Redesign it. They once they take it down, 
it's destroyed and the structure substructure is preserved, but they rebuild it every year. Well, so. that's like in Italy, like the feast illuminations. Yes, exactly. Are different every year and put up every design differently every year, and um, you would think like they would just save those. But. No, I love that. <laughs> I, 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 to me, that's like such a great reason for people to be because it's a living, it's a mm-hmm. living thing. And buy the Turi Ferrara CD. Yeah, you can you can find the song online, Ogilio e Paradiso, and listen to it. He made a whole album, a whole album of feast songs. Turi Ferrara was a feast. There's a whole genre of Italian American entertainer that I don't think we really know anymore called the feast singer. Oh yeah, and they just went from feast to feast, and they, and they were they were huge and feast I mean, bands, feast bands, mm-hmm. and Turi Ferrara. I'm pretty sure it was an Italian. If I'm correct, if there's someone out there who correct me, it was an Italian American born in Brooklyn who wrote. Dances mm-hmm. like cha cha. Yes, he did. With words to it about the Giglio. Yeah. Because the Giglio is danced to the beat of the music. You don't have that CD? I got I, I lent it to somebody. I, I, I get did it. the great stupid thing that I never lent anything out. That's, I, I make copies. All right, buy I copies. I leave a DVD. But, <laughs> it goes uh, quick. CD. But I think that um, I've never seen the Giglio in NOLA. John, have you gone? No, no. No, you're gone. not going either. Um, but it's different because the Giglio in NOLA, the music is a little bit different. It's evolved differently, and I, I think that the Italian-American one probably is more to the original because we've kept the brass bands, and Italy hasn't. Now, I don't know if they've ever had them, but I would imagine that at one point they probably did as well. The great example there is, I know, because so many people go back and forth, the Nolani actually at some point, I think in the 60s or 70s, started using the Brooklyn song. And so now they use the Giulio really? song that was created here. Yeah, the words are fantastic. Oh, the words they were are Neapolitan. Right. They're, they're like, it's like what Shakespeare, what Shakespeare <laughs> yes. was to English, Turi Ferrara yeah. was to Neapolitan. That's true. It's a beautiful. I mean, song. it's just absolutely. It's, and the and the lyrics are translated somewhere online. I know that. The only thing that I, I miss is they used to have the barbecue, the the um, fazula. Yeah. Used to have sweetbreads. Yeah, they don't have that's anywhere. gone. They have a lot of stuff. Azulo, you, yeah. if you're listening, yeah, bring back the sweetbreads. Brings back, bring back the sweetbreads. Amen. On a car coat, on you. a char. There's you a never t-shirt. Had them on a bring back. Grill. Oh, the oh. best. Oh gosh. A, a sweetbread sandwich uh. made on a charcoal grill. Mm. I do like sweetbreads. I've never had them um, at a festival. I don't know that I would have them at a festival. <laughs> Maybe that's Brooklyn. how we raise money for the show. We just bring a sweetbread truck. We make sweetbread sandwich truck. We go to all the feasts. So that's number five, the Giglio. I hope people get to go to it. Let's take a little bit of a veer, uh, because I want to talk about one that's not a feast, but does get a big crowd. And I'm obviously talking about the Columbus Day Parade here in New York City. So every Columbus Day, Fifth Avenue in New York, you can watch it on TV. It's broadcast across the country. It shuts down, and it's this wonderful parade with a lot of people who come from all over the place to line the streets. We've all had the opportunity to march in it. Uh, at different occasions with different groups. Dolores, you've worked on part of the planning of it. Yeah, Pat was absent this year. Yeah, you were out this year. We missed you this year. Every now and then you got to be absent so people appreciate it. <laughs> when I Pat needed sure. you the most. <laughs> we did miss Pat this year, for sure. Uh, Pat and I have done it together when I was with NEAF and we had a float, and we did it this year as part of the contingent uh, with our Italian American governor. Tell us a little about the parade and what people can look forward to with it. So, to be clear, I don't plan the parade itself. Fair enough. That's fair. <clears throat> my my job, uh, my role working for the governor is I have to plan the parade elements for the governor. Right, his participation. His participation in marching in the parade, um, and he's usually uh, like an honorary chairman, and it's you know he's a proud Italian American, so he's always. Uh, 
you know, really looking forward to marching in the parade. That's a big deal. (laughs) That is a big deal. It's always nice. When I talk about your participation, you obviously get to work with the people who do plan it, which is the Columbus Citizens Foundation. Correct, yeah. And for those who are not from the area, it's a private club on 69th Street, right by the park uh, up here in New York. It's all Italian-Americans from all different fields. Um, Nice clubhouse. You can have dinner in the restaurant. You can have events there. And since 1944, the Columbus Citizens Foundation has put together this great celebration up and down Fifth Avenue. There's always a celebrity grand marshal. There's always a ton of floats from yes. different groups throughout the community. There's a lot of music, and uh, obviously the streets are lined with Italian-Americans who have come out to see this thing. Uh, it was started after the war as a way to sort of reintegrate our community. It was it, The war wasn't even over, actually. It started towards the tail end of the war after Italy had... Uh, surrendered and switched sides to the Allies, but it really was created as a way to celebrate uh, the Italian-American community and its contributions. And Generoso Pope, who was at the founding of so many things in our community, was there to help start the Columbus Citizens Foundation and the parade. And it was sort of seen as a as a, uh, a solve to the wound right. for Italian-Americans having been, uh, you know, had, uh, enemy aliens in a lot of cases during the war. And here's the motherland on the wrong side of a global conflict and so this was sort of a healing opportunity and obviously has grown into one of the biggest days of the year here in the New York area and there's parades all over the country obviously for Columbus Day and that's its own episode but I think it's well worth coming to if you're in New York yeah, the time. I do think as an Italian American it's a, a bucket list item um, one upside of planning the parade and you know we, we do invite um, certain people to march with us um, and march with the governor, and it's a real treat for people. I can see, you know, f- for the people who it's the first time they've done it, it's it's really exciting, and a lot of people bring, like, their kids and stuff, and, you know, they come, like we're talking about, dressed up and, you know, maybe red, white, and green, or their Italian shirts, and there's a lot of flags, and, you know, there's a uh, we play, like, an Italian playlist, yeah. and, you know, everybody's playing a lot of Italian music, and it's just a nice celebration of Italian heritage and you're really just surrounded by people who are celebrating Italian heritage you're marching with people who are celebrating with Italian heritage you're uh, you know like you said a lot of the uh, grand marshals are often very successful Italian Americans or famous Italian Americans of course the Italian American governor of New York State is is marching so you have it's just a celebration of you know our culture and how far we've come and where we are um, you know I know this is not the subject for this show unfortunately we're going to cover this at some point, but um, I think the parade does get a little bit of bad rap because it's called the Columbus Day Parade, and it's certainly, for many people, celebrating Columbus and Italian-American heritage, but I think for a lot of people, just as equally, it's it's really about being Italian. Yeah, I agree. That's When we have our gigantic roundtable knockdown drag out on yeah. the Columbus Day controversy as we get that's closer. That's going to be a yeah, that's going to be a big. Yeah, one. And I mean, this past series. year it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Uh, it wasn't, you know, I think last year was like the big uh sensitive year for a yeah. lot of people, but I just remember when I was a kid, it was not about that at all. No. It it was like it was totally just this benign, you know. Yeah, it's always been clearly at least for the past 30, 40 years, basically Italian American Day. Um, which to me is what we're celebrating. You know, I think it's great that there's somebody dressed like Columbus and, you know, Columbus Circle statue and all these wonderful things. But the truth is, I would say the majority of people are there to celebrate their heritage. And it's, and it is clearly, it's on my list because it's the most 
prominent event on the calendar in the country. Yeah, you know, I agree. Everybody knows it exists. It's on national television. I mean, they close down Fifth Ave, yeah. and, you know, you march in the middle of New York City. Yeah, it's our St. Patrick's Day. I mean, you're right. You, it's you know. a beautiful, I mean, you can't deny it's just an absolutely well done. No. Yes, it is. Beautiful, first-rate, classy event. It is. It's the I mean, entire city of is. New they York shutting down one of the most prominent avenues so we can all be so like Italian Americans can celebrate. Yeah, yeah, so we can all just walk down and be ridiculous. Yeah. So, and like I remember being a little girl in Bensonhurst, and you know we'd have the day off of school, and it was like a holiday yeah. for us. Like we would get together, uh, my my brother, and then you know three other moms would just bring all the kids on the subway to fit, get off at Rockefeller Center, and we would go and watch. And remember when uh, when it was cold in October in New York? Yeah, when back in the day, yeah, when you said to get dressed up. You know what? We would be all bundled up watching. Change. That's a great point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a great Right. I just remember point. being so bundled up, like, in my mom's fur coat, like, my little face, like, you know, watching this, like, magic that I... that. That I was like so excited to see, like I, I had the day off of school. This is great. Everyone's like Italian and they yeah. know it and they're proud of and it. Classy. Loud. It's really well done. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's you pretty. see, it's aesthetically a beautiful event. You see the, you see people in like you know in uh, old Italian costumes and new Italian costumes. Uh, you see a beautiful parade of cars of cla- of the Italian classic cars. You would see beauty queens. It, it was just. Um, an energy that that made you really, really proud of your heritage. Yeah, I agree. I think it's something Pat says. It's classy about it, and it's prominent. And for better or worse, this is our holiday, and we have to recognize that it's about the contributions of 25 million people and their ancestors, and it's a good excuse to, to be together. And you know what the beautiful thing about the, the Columbus Day Parade how many non-Italians watch it? Yeah, that's true. You know, people that, they just love the whole experience, they love the feel. Yeah. It, Everybody wants to be Italian. It's yeah, recognized. <laughs> it's recognized yeah. by the rest of the country. And we, we're lucky to have our Columbus Day Parade because Seattle no longer does. Yeah, a lot of cities don't. Did oh, Seattle yeah. stop it altogether? Yes. Oh, yeah. So did San Francisco. Well, San Francisco became Italian American Heritage Day, but yeah, Seattle took it away. A lot of cities took it away. And we're lucky to have it. And we're talking about these sort of like bigger picture events and you know Columbus but Day but I, I think I'm just interrupt, I think a lot of parts of the country and a lot of ethnicities who are who take umbrage with the Columbus Day don't understand it's mean it, that what the holiday has become for Italian Americans I don't think they understand that I think there's a lot and I've heard Italian Americans in other parts of the country say they don't understand what the New York parade is yeah well that's that's I hope we can encourage people to come see it because you know, beyond all the controversy, it's just a great day of Italian pride. Yeah, I can't help you get into Rayos, but um, listeners, if you want to send me an email, if you're interested in actually doing this as part of your Italian American bucket list, this I might be able to help you with. Um, yeah. So just send me an email. We Dolores love. wants you, <laughs> America. Well, yeah. listeners of the Power Hour get some yeah. kind of preference. That's right. So. And if you can, um, by all means, please sneak into the Columbus Foundation uh, yeah. after oh, the parade. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not suggesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, like not like that, but I mean, it's it. What goes on in their post parade really is fun. just so super yeah. cool. They have a really awesome band playing, yeah. and everyone's having wine and having a great time, and just, um, and just really like tearing it up Italian style. Yeah. It, it's so great to have these things because you see everyone. Yeah, 
it, it's like events, it's like, oh, well, I know I'm going to see that guy and that guy and that guy. And it's like, you really get to have this cool reunion. Yeah, it is. It's funny you talk about this is a good transition to one of the next things on my list. It's very personal to me, but like, after the parade, everybody's together at the club, and it's like an after party. It's fun. The, the pressure's off. The success has, has been marked on the list, and everybody is just enjoying one another and celebrating. It's the real party. And my next event on this list, uh, coming in at number three, again, no particular order, uh, for me started as an after party, and that's the National Italian American Foundation Gala Weekend in Washington, D.C. And I fell in love with that event. It's, it's what brought me... To this, all this activity in the Italian American community, I was blessed to be able to lead the organization for six years as the president, and I fell in love with it because I went to my first dinner as a teenager in high school with a friend of my dad's, a lady named Diana Famia, who took me down there, and it was, you know, three thousand people in a ballroom in Washington in black tie, and all these long speeches and people eating on the dais, and I was bored out of my mind, and I'm like, I don't want to do this, but. After a long night of speeches and awards, I went upstairs to the lobby of the Hilton in Washington, and Aaron Caruso, who we mentioned before, always active in the Italian-American community and a great talent. The usual suspects. Yes, the usual suspects, <laughs> the Italian-American singers. He started playing the piano in the lobby and singing Italian and Italian-American songs, and all of a sudden, I turned around, and there's all these young people my age who are singing these songs, and I'm like, wait a minute, knowing the words of a Pino the Mouse makes me cool here? Like, I gotta be a part of this. And we stood up all night and yeah. sang all night and there was wine and, and all, you know, Jerry Vale was there and singing with us and Tony LaBianca was over there. Michael Battaluzzo. I got a lot of institutional knowledge from Nyack. You've been there for years. For years. Yeah. Al Rolandi. Al Rolandi was the one who started to, yes. Al, Thank I'm you. gonna call you up. Al, yes. we should call Al yes. up. Al was the man who made it happen. I was at that gala. We just hung out one night at the bar, and I think it was Al went to the piano. Yes, it and was. It just Al. took off. Aaron sang. Uh, now, I mean, now it's become it's become corporate. Like yes. everybody's there, yeah. and we got the fish. But the real grassroots. Yes, started naturally. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I had a similar experience in my first Neaf gala. I don't. I think that was it. Was right before you were president. Yes. Like the year before you became 2011, president. Eleven, probably. It must have been that year. And 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 I fell in love with yeah. that after party at the Hilton. It and was just so fun. If I no, if I'm really objective, exciting. <laughs> if I'm really objective, the the event is changing, and I think if those of you out there in the listening audience who have been to NIAF galas, NIAF galas, however you say it, um, if you were there while I was running the event, you know how much I focused on those kind of celebratory parts. It's hard to fit so many things into a weekend and and things change. But up until I left, I know the idea was it was a full weekend and Friday and Saturday in the hotel you'd have academic conferences and uh, community meetings and different events and wine tastings and film screenings. And we also revived what we called Exo Italiana, which was a you know, probably about 100 vendors from Italy and the United States selling food and clothing and jewelry and products and businesses, and it was really a chance to see the best of Italian and Italian-American business. And a Friday night, we would hold a concert and a party and uh, really the time to sort of throw down and have some fun in a big venue. And then Saturday, again, a full day of scheduled events uh, during the weekend, and then Saturday night, a 3,000-person dinner and award ceremony in black tie, celebrating, you know, we tried to bring in musical acts and kind of make it like an Italian-American Oscars. 
and uh, all of you were there during my tenure. Uh, Rosella, you know, used to present uh, recipes and make handmade pasta with her nonna and. Pat's been going forever, and Dolores, you, 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 you worked with me on one. Yeah, and we had a booth for a while, too, yeah. for a couple yeah. years, the Italian-American podcast. Um, but then I worked a couple, uh, one or two galas yeah. with you, I can't remember now, um, as it, I worked at NIAF. But um, Rosella's booth was always swamped at the expo, because she oh, was cooking pasta her. with Nona. Because everybody wanted to eat. And it was interesting, because like, all the major Italian brands and Italian-American brands would actually come for this, so like... You could lie down in the first class seat of Alitalia and you right. could eat Del Grosso sauce and meatballs and, you know, like all of these products you could taste and people you'd see. And there was a children's corner and you'd have a teacher of Italian for kids and there was music and we'd eventually do karaoke, the after party. And, you know, for me, it was always about creating just that safe zone once a year, landmark, you got to be here, boisterous everything you love about being Italian in one place. Yeah, it was like an Italian-American weekend away. Yeah, it was like a convention, really. Yeah. It's, it's the Italian-American convention, and uh, so it's many also, people would come back. It's also at the tail end of Italian Culture Month. Yes, It's exactly. usually at the end of yeah. October, yeah. so um, it kind of closes yeah. a very busy, like, you know, September, October, yeah. two months. Yeah, it of, is nice that way, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's like, and then, you know, you're ready for Christmas and stuff. Uh, I like things like that. It feels like um, such a such a, a reset for the year. Yeah, it, it, knowing it's on the calendar, as I got older, when I, I went down as a teenager, and then the next year I was like, my whole family has to come to this. And then eventually my extended family was coming, and friends were coming, and we were uh, getting more involved with the organization. And we would basically, like, as autumn would roll around, my mom would say, hey, the gala, are, you, are we all going to go to the gala this year? You just knew there was no need, the gala. And we all went down. And I know a lot of families like that. I know, Pat, you were like that for You decades. know what the great thing about the gala is, in the pre-internet days, you got to meet Italians from all around the country, and you got to under, got a little bit of an understanding of how different yeah. how different and the same you were. Yeah. Um, now everything's so accessible with the internet, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, would I have known there were Italians in Sugarland, Texas, had I not got, not gone to the NIAF Gala? It was like a political, or you know, convention. like Corksburg, West Virginia. Yeah, all these Calabrians from uh, San Giovanni and Fiore. Had I not, there used to be a huge amount of people from Corksburg, and I would go back to Jersey, and there's all these Italians in West Virginia that would just like blow you off, you know. If I, it was, but, <laughs> I just, just want to make a point that like if it was not for the NIAF Gala, none of us would be as mm-hmm. close as we are. Absolutely. None right. of us. I, I owe a lot in my life to that organization. To and I. The year. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's safe to say, you know, the event is changing and uh, different people bring different reasonings to the table and, and how they run it. But I still think the National Italian American Foundation Gala, after 43 years and has had every president of the United States, every major Italian American celebrity has been there, the history is there. And if you haven't experienced it, well worth going down and supporting the organization and, and being a part of a special weekend. Um, you know, to transition to our final two uh, stops on my bucket list, I got to be the president of the National Italian American Foundation for all those years, but the first organization that I ever had a role on when I was like 20, uh, I was put on the board of the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame in Chicago, and that place, and most important, more than the place, is the man who gave me that George Randazzo, George the Randazzo, king, the king of the king of Italian Taylor American Street. sports, the king yes. of Taylor Street, king of Taylor Street. So, the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame in Chicago is absolutely right here on my second to last, uh, number two on my bucket list. It is 
it's moving now. The hall is moving to a brand new facility in Rosemont, Illinois, but it had been on Taylor Street for a long time. It had been in other neighborhoods around Chicago for different years, but at the heart of it all is George. And George founded this organization in the mid-70s because he came back from Vietnam and he was promoting boxing and he knew a lot of Italian-American boxers, which there's plenty of us, and uh, he was asked by a local Italian-American parish to help put on a fundraiser and do a boxing night. And so George tried to help raise money for this school to say this Italian-American Catholic school, and he created the Italian-American Boxing Hall of Fame, and it became a great, successful event. And his friend, Joe DiMaggio, uh, said to him, well, why don't you just make this Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame? So he's like, all right. And sure enough, it grew into this beautiful facility. It's got amazing artifacts, uh, Rocky Marciano's belt, because... George knew Rocky, and he drove him to the airplane that crashed and, and took his life. Uh, DiMaggio's gloves and uniform and bat, because George knew Joe DiMaggio, and uh, Mario Andretti's race car hangs off the wall, and all of these amazing artifacts that are in there, because George has built, because he's such a great guy, relationships with all these athletes over the years, and he's done so much for the community in Chicago, so much to support national organizations, and when it reopens in Rosemont, uh, the year after next, I absolutely encourage anybody not only go and spend the day there, but specifically ask to spend the day with George and his stories. He's a charming, beautiful guy. I think most of us have met George, right? Have you guys met George? I haven't. Uh, yes, actually, I have. Yeah. I yes, love yes, George. Yes, yes. George is a great guy. Oh, we got to bring him on the show. We're, we're, we're going to try to go out to Chicago and do an episode with them pretty soon because they have their boxing night, which we're going to support on February 21st. But he is just... What's the chicken Vesuvio? That's yeah, a it's good, a big that's deal. A good, that's a big... That's in their a, restaurants in Chicago. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like chicken with peas and stuff. Yeah, it's a all. very Chicago dish. Yeah. But this is like all the Italian-Americans that have supported this organization from around the country. They have their gala in November. It's a lot of fun. But the museum, to meet these people and hear their stories, and, you know, I got to meet everybody. Yogi Berra and uh, Tommy Lasorda and Franco Harris and this Louis Zamperini, who was a World War II hero if you've read the book or seen the movie Unbroken, I got to meet him like three times with George, and he keeps these stories alive. He's just amazing, amazing guy, and I've seen organizations wither over time, but somehow young people are always drawn to him, and he's such a great mentor, and all these young athletes keep coming back and supporting. So that museum, I think, is just the best in the country for our heritage, a great collection, and a great guy. And the last stop I would put on my list, none of us have been able to go to, but we've talked about it forever, is the big time in Rosetta, Pennsylvania. And for those of you who don't know, if you haven't read about it or seen the documentary, we've talked about it a lot on the show. Rosetta is a coal mining town in the middle of Pennsylvania. It was once all Italian-American, and somehow these people, because of the bonds of family and friendship, they started living longer than everybody else with way less heart disease, way less medical issues. Than the they, rest of the country. Than the rest of the country. And they have their big time feast every year in July and people come back, and it's you know it's not very well known, and it is really local, and it's really like a family gathering. And I think that I've that's, never been. I need to go. Yeah, I think that's really something. And they have the queen of the big time. Yeah, like the the queen of the of the of the festival. festival. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's a good. Yeah, class trip we for need us. to take a trip for sure. It's, it's on the Agreed. list. So that's my list, guys. If I missed anything. And you're out there in the audience. Let us know. I know there's this place like Arthur Avenue, and there's the San Gennaro Festival, right. and there's the Italian American Museum of Los Angeles, and there's the festival in Memphis, which you know they say uh, we're Italian, y'all, or like you know it, it, it's it's awesome and it's really unique and great tradition. There's the Italian American Museum 
in uh, Little Italy, and there's the on the, Mulberry Street. On Mulberry in your Street. City. There's the Garibaldi Meucci Museum and his house in Staten Island, even though, you know, I'm not a big Garibaldi guy. But there's a lot to do. There's neighborhoods all over the place. There's feasts all over the place. But for me, this was my bucket list. So you guys concur? Well done, Juan. Yeah? yeah. I think so. Will, will you I sign up so. and come with me on the road trip to of all these Of course. Places? All right. Let's go. Look at that. I think we should just get a Fiat. We'll jam ourselves in. We'll get the large Fiat. Fiat. Please. And we'll just, yeah. Is it maybe a Fiat bus? I'm not, I'm not sitting not in this lab. I'm not <laughs> no lab, all right. I'm not sitting next to Pat on the long drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sit next to you, Huba. You're just going to complain about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I want my phone. I asked that conversation. This is the you. music. I told you. I said, I phone. So listen, if you're out there and you think we missed something, please send it our way. It's not a complete list, but we're always looking for a second bucket list and more excuses to go out into the Italian-American community and get to know who we are. So, uh, we hope you enjoyed. We can't wait to hear from you. And on behalf of all of us here, it's been a pleasure. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Ciao, everybody. Ciao, guys. Ciao. Pat's in style now. Okay.
जाए 